You're listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for this week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and I'm also the leader of the Adult Explore the Bible team. Today, I'm being joined by one of my team members, which is David Briscoe. David edits uh, mostly the adult commentary. So, David, thank you for being with us today. Glad to be here. Uh, we're going to be looking at session four for the winter 2020-2021 study of Luke. Session four looks at Jesus's presentation at the temple in chapter two, verses 25 through 38. Uh, in verses 25 through 27, Luke tells us about a righteous man named Simeon who took God's promise of a Messiah seriously. The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the coming of the promised Messiah. We've entitled that particular section, Anticipated. The main idea is that God's promises bring purpose in this life. In verses 28 through 35, Simeon, he follows the Spirit's leadership, and he finds Jesus in the temple. He offered thanksgiving to God for allowing him to see the Messiah and he declared Jesus to be the fulfillment of prophecies to both the Jews and Gentiles. Simeon also blesses Joseph and Mary and told Mary what lay ahead for her. The main point here is that Gentiles and Jews find redemption in Jesus. And we've entitled this particular section, verses 28 through 35, Recognized. In verses 36 through 38, we're introduced to another person, which is named, who, her name is Anna. She's a prophetess, and she's an aging widow. She's been fasting and praying in the temple area all these years. And as Simeon spoke with Mary, Anna approaches Jesus. She thanks God and then begins to tell others about God's redemptive plan. We've entitled this particular section, Shared. And we're reminded the main idea is that believers must tell others that redemption is found in Jesus Christ alone. So that's a quick walk through the passage that we'll be looking at, verses 25 through 38. David, let's start out with this, this question. How does the promise made to Simeon compare to promises we have today in our life? Well, I would, I would say that it does so in this way, that you have uh, the promise made to Simeon had a broad and collective aspect to it, which I'll talk about in just a moment, but it also had a very personal individual and timely aspect to it. So that's, that's really uh, the way in, we in, uh, receive promises as well from the Lord through his word. Uh, but let me, let me talk a bit about that, the broad uh, collective aspect. Uh, that's two things to, or one, that's two things, right? No, that's, that's one thing. One yeah, thing, okay. It's, it's broad and it's collective, meaning okay. that it's a, it's a big promise okay. and it has to do with all of the people, not just okay. to Simeon. And it, it's, it's coming from uh, two, uh, chapter 2, verse 25, where it talks about uh, Simeon as looking forward to Israel's consolation. And that word consolation uh, means comfort. This part of the promise harks back to the Old Testament prophet's message of comfort regarding Israel, particularly Isaiah in, in chapter 40, but even further back when you talk about the covenant that God made with, with Abraham uh, and through Moses, and then certainly when you come to the time of King David and, and the Lord made 
a promise to David regarding Israel. And, and so in 2 Samuel 7, 16, uh, the Lord promised David, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever. And so you had, you had that broad promise that the Lord made uh, to David at that point. Uh, and yet here was, the, here was the irony and the conflict in, in terms of just uh, from 586 BC forward when the Babylonians had def destroyed Jerusalem, had uh, burned the temple, it, it was all gone. Well, Israel had not seen this throne of David established in the promised land. They hadn't, hadn't seen independence for all of those centuries uh, since uh, the sixth uh, century. And yet Simeon, go almost, ahead. It's almost 600 years of time. If it's 586, right? Right. Since, since, uh, since somebody in the line of David had been on the throne. Right. Uh, and, and so here, though, was Simeon <laughs> in the first century A.D., uh, who was one who was clinging tenaciously to that very promise that the Lord had made to, to King David back so many centuries before. Uh, he clung tenaciously to that promise, which included, of course, the coming of the Messiah to establish that deliverance. So that's, that's the broad and collective aspect of the promise of looking forward to Israel's consolation. Uh, Simeon was looking forward and anticipating that God was still going to keep his promise uh, about uh, that he had made to David and, and through others, through the prophets, that the people of Israel uh, would be comforted and would be delivered. But then there's this personal and timely aspect to the promise. And really, it's truly amazing. It's in verse 26 that Simeon was promised, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he, Simeon, would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Now, that, to me, that's just an amazing, specific kind of promise. Uh, Simeon, you're not going to die before you see this deliverer this Messiah that you've been praying about in the broad sense, you're going to see this deliverer face-to-face. Uh, -face. And so both of these promises, by the way, to Simeon relate to Christ's first coming. And so we obviously don't look forward to those promises. They've already been fulfilled. But here, here's the uh, relevance to us. And when we talk about promises that we might have from the Lord today. Uh, God's fulfillment of those promises, after all of those years, gives us assurance as believers today in the Lord Jesus Christ, as followers of Christ, about the, the certainty of what the Lord is doing uh, until, he, until the return of Christ and the establishment of uh, heaven and the new uh, heaven and earth, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In the meantime, all of those promises, we can, we can count on it because we see that God is faithful to fulfill his promises uh, to Simeon and to others of that era. Certainly, we can walk and live by faith uh, because we know that he's going to keep those promises related to us. You and I hadn't talked about this part of this before we get to this point, but 
when we see a promise in the New Testament, particularly made to believers, we need to think about the broad and collective approach to that promise. We need to think about where is it, where is the us in this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the personal and timely would be, how does this relate to me? Absolutely. So, so in a way, it's, it's uh, making sure that when we see a promise, we think about us and we at the same time. I think that's right. Okay. Uh, this, these two encounters take place in, a, in the temple area. Why is the location of these encounters so important? Well, of course, now this is the rebuilt temple, right? Uh-huh. And so... Uh, this is Herod's temple. This is Herod's temple, the one that had been destroyed in 586 BC, uh, of course, was gone, but it was rebuilt. Uh, first, during the, uh, the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, during that time. Uh, but then Herod uh, had, uh, had enlarged it, had uh, uh, built on to it, and so it was quite, quite a temple. But more important than the looks of it, uh, was what it represented. The temple was the visible presence of the Lord among his people. So that has significance. But even more so, when you think about uh, when these encounters took place, uh, this encounter with Simeon, uh, Joseph and Mary and, and baby Jesus, uh, they'd come to the temple to carry out the dedication of the firstborn. This was a ritual in in Judaism. It comes from the Old Testament. Uh, it's where the uh, the firstborn child, firstborn son, is dedicated to the Lord, uh, and uh, it was it was a very significant act in regard to Jesus because Jesus, uh, being the very Son of God in the flesh, uh, he is being brought to the temple in honor of that firstborn status and dedicated uh, to God the Father. Uh, but secondly, this the encounters, think about where they took place. This was probably uh, taking place in the broader courtyard area. It certainly would not have been inside the uh, inner sanctuary of the temple. It would have been in those courtyard areas that were open to uh, to Jewish men and to and to women and also to to Gentiles. So a crowded area for sure. Certainly a crowded area, uh, but I think that there's an there's another underlying significance of this encounter taking place uh, in 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 this uh, courtyard that even uh, non-Jews could could be there, and that is that uh, as Simeon notes that. Jesus was going to be not only the deliverer who would be a glory to Israel, in other words, he would bring honor to collectively to the people of Israel, but he would be a light to the Gentiles. So this is, this is significant that uh, God was doing something larger than just the uh, bringing about the the independence of uh, Israel as a nation again. God was doing something that had to do with all people groups. That's an that's an important uh, theme in the Gospel of Luke too. Is that salvation it, is for all, including the Gentiles? Important thing that Luke emphasizes, and this is one way, one of the ways that he emphasized that that he he drew from that passage in Isaiah that talked about the servant of the Lord being a light for the Gentiles. 
And so they're in that courtyard of the Gentiles where this uh, encounter takes place. That's, I think that's significant uh, in emphasizing that Jesus is going to have to do with, with something that's, that's greater even than just Israel, but for all people. This is a rabbit we may need to help, our, help some of the folks uh, skin and get rid of, but there's a debate over the age of Anna. Right. Um, can, can you just help walk through that for a little bit and help our, our folks uh, figure a way to deal with that? Yeah, um, and, and I certainly would agree that, that it's, uh, it shouldn't become a major time-consuming issue of the group discussion there. Uh, but just, just and, and for the fact that we, we really won't be able to settle it uh, for, for certain, would, but let me just walk through what the options are here. Uh, and again, Luke initially used this general description for Anna uh, as he did with uh, Elizabeth, that she was well along in years. And so I think that's a diplomatic way of saying it. That's in chapter two, verse 36. But then Luke did give some uh, more specific indications of, about uh, at least the durations of when she had lived with her husband indicates that she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. That's in verse 36. And then uh, her husband died, leaving her as a widow, obviously. And so Luke indicates that uh, she was a widow for 84 years. So there are a couple of possibilities then about that term 84 years. Uh, one would be that, okay, this is how old Anna was at the time of her encounter with Jesus. That is, the 84 years describes uh, the age, uh, the, the duration of years before she got married, the seven years of her marriage, plus the uh, years after her husband died. All of that totals up to 84 years. The second option is that uh, she may have been a widow for the 84 years, which meant then, of course, that she could have been more than 100 years old uh, in years, because if 84 years was just the length of her widowhood, then for seven years uh, in her marriage to her husband before he died. And then if we assume that she was 14, 15 years old, when she was married, then seven years, and then uh, 84 years, she'd be 105, 106 years old, totally. But again, I would say that, uh, you know, that is uh, just a detail that's, that's uh, you wouldn't want to, um, I, I would think you'd want to do what Luke did, and that is to just indicate that the, the main point there is that she was well along in years, but she had, dedicated her life as well to the Lord. Uh, she was either a prophetess herself or was the wife of a, a prophet. Her husband had been a prophet and she had participated. She certainly functioned as a prophet, uh, prophetess as she began to talk to uh, the, the uh, crowd around Jesus and saying to, to them, that, hey, this, this is the deliverer. This is the Messiah. Uh, this is the one we've been waiting for all of these years. And so the length of her life, however it was, 84, 100, 
506, uh, represents, you know, just a, a life of devotion and a life of anticipation that God was going to fulfill his promises about the Messiah. Either way, it's a solid resume of a person committed to Christ, or committed to, to the temple and to worshiping God. and Obviously and all of life, right, yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, this particular section ends with the idea, this passage does, that Mary pondered. Uh, others reacted with praise and telling. Uh, the question that, that comes uh, to my mind as I study that is, how should we respond to the news of Jesus' birth? We're, this lesson is going to be studied the week after Jesus' birth, a couple of days after we celebrate Christmas. How should we respond to the news of Jesus' birth? I was, I was drawn back to uh, Luke 2, verses 10 and 11, and that's where the angel uh, announced to the shepherds, Look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. So what I would underscore there is that Christ's birth was for us, for all of us. And as we said, that one of Luke's emphases is that it was not just for the Jewish people, but uh, he came for all people, Jews and Gentiles. And so we're really asking how should we respond to this good news that applies to all the people. And so I, I would just suggest to you that uh, first gratitude. Thank you, Lord, that Christ came for me too. He came so that I might have salvation. Secondly, I would think uh, a good dose, good dose of humility would be a good response just to think that, uh, God loves me as well, and that he sent Christ into the earth, into the world uh, for me. That is a humbling um, experience and a humbling realization. And then I, I would think, uh, thirdly, uh, participation. In other words, personal participation. If Christ came uh, for all people, including me, and he came as a savior, the Messiah, the Lord, for all people, including me, then it really puts upon me the question, what will I do about that? What, how will I respond to him if he came as a savior for me? And so what I'm really talking about when I say participation is that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that I put my trust and faith in him because that's why he came so that I and all other people might have an opportunity to uh, believe in him and to be saved, forgiven of our sins, and made new. And then a final one would be uh, we can respond by, by sharing the story with others. Again, he didn't come just for me. <laughs> he, he came for all people. And so the way this story, the way this message uh, gets told to others is when we obey the great commission that the Lord gave us to, uh, to go to the nations, and that includes going to our neighbors and includes going uh, to others in our communities and sharing the gospel message with them because just as the gospel was for me, it is for them 
as well. God wants them to know Jesus, the Savior who was born for them as well as for me. And we see different ways people responded here uh, in this passage, but for us, there's not one, you know, like, well, I'm going to respond the same way as Mary. I'm just going to sit and ponder, uh, or I'm just going to, I'm just going to offer praise, or I'm just going to tell. We really need to be doing all of those things in response to. Right. Uh, the, the, the bottom the line being how, whether it's, whether it's vocal praise uh, or it, that, or, you know, contemplation that, it be that idea of belief and faith and, and participating in what God was doing when he sent Jesus into the world as the Savior. One thing I would point out to you, those of you who are teaching, is the Bible skill for this week talks about reviewing the Bible commentary. And the commentaries that are noted or the passages that are noted are Luke 2.25 and Luke 2.38. And you're asked to compare comments on Israel, Israel's consolation and the redemption of Jerusalem. We talked a little bit about that with, uh, when David mentioned Israel's consolation also equal to Israel's comfort. Uh, those two things are connected. What I would encourage you to do is, is either do that as a group, provide commentaries if you can, and then allow them to, to look through those or you show them how to use a commentary. Some of them may have never seen an actual commentary. <laughs> Uh, show them how to use a commentary to look it up, those type of things. But the other approach is to assign it to someone in the group, allow them to explain to the group how they went through research to get to that point and then share their findings uh, with the group about how the phrase Israel's consolation and the redemption of Jerusalem are connected to each other. You're also going to find information in the leader guide and the adult commentary to help you uh, process that as well. David, you got any other things you would share about Luke 2? 25 through 38. No, I think it's uh, the, these passages. Uh, Luke, by the way, is the, uh, uh, the only one who gives us such detailed encounters uh, related to Jesus's birth. Uh, Matthew gives us some of the background uh, in terms of Joseph and, and Mary. Uh, but Luke gives these wonderful encounters that uh, just everyday people had with uh, the, the newborn Christ and uh, it's just an, an amazing thing to study and to look at those encounters. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening today. David, thank you for being with us. If you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send me an email at dwayne.mccrary at lifeway.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at lifeway.com. And I'll do my best to answer your question. And if I don't know the answer, I promise you to find the, that I will find the right person who can answer that question. So please feel free to send me those comments and questions. Hope you join us next week. Next week, we'll be looking at session five. We're looking at Luke 2, 41 through 52, which is the only thing we have recorded about Jesus' rearing about